if you were a DJ in the city, like everybody was there. It was packed. Yeah, I saw fist fights. They would come out with records and people were grabbing like crazy. This was the meeting place. It was communal and it was live and it was alive. House DJs, the mixtape DJs, the radio DJs, the club DJs, the strip club DJs, like everybody would find their way to play the record. Whether you're a promoter, whether you're a DJ, whether you're an artist, you needed Eugene. I really tried to push good music, good new music. Take a look through my eyes and you'll see what I see. Take a look through my eyes and you'll see what I see. The front of the store is selling everything from like pornographic movies and, you know, fake handguns and all kinds of crap. They only had about a hundred records in the store. So you, you walk in, you're like, am I at the right place? The back was empty. You know, nobody wants to rent behind a store. Like, who would do that? You know what I mean? Only me. <laughs> Joining me online today is Rob Freeman, the director, executive producer, and writer of the documentary film Drop the Needle. It's going to be featured as part of Cuff Docs in Calgary at the Globe Cinema on Friday, November 25th at 6.30 p.m. As an added bonus here, because Cuff is really good about doing this, they're also bringing Rob Freeman, and he's going to be there as part of the screening, and we'll be doing a Q&A post-screening for Drop the Needle. Rob, welcome to Moving Radio. Thank you very much for having me here. Looking forward to chatting about uh, the next couple of weeks here. It's going to be exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I really, to be honest with you, I saw this on the list of films when they kind of dropped uh, the full schedule. And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm excited to see <laughs> and very intrigued by. The film kind of centers around played a record which is a record store from toronto but it's not really exclusively about that you know it's an institution in toronto since 1990 but drop the needle is more than just the history of a record store it's kind of a coming of age of toronto's hip-hop and house scenes that actually extends beyond the borders of ontario and really kind of affects the whole country so maybe before we get into this a little bit more can we give the audience some context about played a record and uh, eugene tam for anybody that hasn't heard of that place or has been lucky enough to peruse it like myself? At the time period that uh, Played Record opened in 1990, there was a few spots in Toronto that was servicing the underground music genres of you know hip-hop and uh, reggae and early house and uh, disco and funk. All these genres of music that you would consider underground that weren't being serviced by the mainstream outlets. There was a few spots that were uh, providing that, but Eugene came in 1990 and kind of became kind of the the epicenter for these genres of music in Toronto just through his hard work and through you know some uh, help with local DJs coming in and assisting in terms of what to bring into the store and 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 really what he ended up happening was he brought in a lot of rare music that the uh, DJs in the city were coveting because the key really the big key thing here is that DJs at that time period they made their names being the first to drop that hot new record if you had the hot new record you were the king uh, in, in the city so for a play record having all the hot new music attracted all the top djs the djs went there and it kind of uh, grew uh, from from that perspective of him getting this rare music and djs really coveting it and, and kind of built from there uh, different layers as time went on yeah, and and I love that there was some context about this of like giving us the the feeling of what it was like 
Man, you know, some of the things that you cover, it would have been so amazing to have like footage, a lot of footage of like what those Thursdays were like. But honestly, when you put some of those photos up of like just how it was wall to wall, because people talk to you about it and people in the uh, the documentary do, it shows you just how rabid that scene was and how vibrant it was. And that's the thing that I think that Drop the Needle does really well is convey the feeling of what that scene was like uh, mm. from the people that were part of it, but also from the footage that you have in some of the photographs. What are the scenes? Well, the, 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 the animation. That the funny thing is, you said that is the Thursday scene in particular was really challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah, because when you go to a record store, you're that on a Thursday. The whole goal that's that's when the new records come in. So just as I was mentioning, how DJs try and get the first one to get that record. Well, there's only so many copies of that hot new record. So when you were going in on a Thursday, you weren't thinking about taking pictures. You weren't thinking of taking video. You were thinking, I got to get this record because my job and my uh, you know livelihood kind of depends on it. So unfortunately, it was tricky getting you know footage uh, for that particular day uh, or that day in particular. Uh, though we did find a little ways around it. I don't want to spoil it because I know the Thursday scene so far has been a scene that everyone's really enjoyed watching. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, when you watch the movie and you hit the Thursday scene, you, you'll see how we kind of uh, worked worked around the lack of footage that we had. And I, I uh, from the feedback that we got, uh, it's, it's I got something pretty good there in terms of the visuals on, on a Thursday. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you're using as many different types of media as you can, and the interview footage works super well with it. You know, we talked a little bit about Play to Record, which is the the roots of kind of the story. But can you talk to us a little bit about the seeds of how you began Drop the Needle and started to think about this is a film that's just going to transcend necessarily the store itself. And that kind of made you believe it could also go beyond just being a Toronto focused story, because this is really a story about uh, the seeds of how that scene grew in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's interesting because I grew up in Kingston, Ontario, which is about uh, 250 kilometers outside of uh, Toronto, right? So it's close to Toronto, but I grew up and I, I wasn't a DJ. I didn't have, uh, you know, I was in high school. I was I was, I was always broke, unfortunately, so I didn't have any reasons <laughs> to go to Toronto for like, you know, shows or clubs or anything like that. But, but I loved hip-hop music in particular, and the only source for me to really hear hip-hop was one, you know, late college radio show from on Wednesdays from 12 to 3 in the morning and going to school the next day made it really tough to listen to that radio show I did listen to I love that radio show but it was really ch- tough so the only real source was Rap City on uh, Much Music so the old uh, Rap City show Much Music and, and also Extendamix Eugene uh, played a record he sponsored or uh, uh, Extendamix in particular he had a sponsorship he put his name on there I played records name on there so when I was growing up in Kingston this was the only spot for me to hear hip hop music. And here was the name play to record being used over and over again. And I kind of grown that association where, okay, Canada's hip hop play to record is the place to get it. So even though I'd never been there before, I didn't know anything too much about play to record. I kind of already knew that was an institution. So when I moved to Toronto, started trying to get into filmmaking, you know, start dabbling here and there and gain a little bit of experience. But when I had the opportunity to do the kind of like my first real project, I said to my uh, good friend, my co- co-producer, Neil Acheria, you know, he grew up with me in Kingston as well. I said, Neil, we need a really good idea. What are we going to do here? And he, he's the one who suggested play the record. And I didn't know enough about it to be 100% sure at that point in time, but I knew enough about the store to know that it had serious potential. Um, as quickly, I realized that serious potential was, uh, you know, was very real. <laughs> it wasn't just potential. It was, it was very real. 
Um, that was just because of how much love that the interviewees that we, we talked to showed for the uh, topic, for the idea of doing a documentary on Planet Record. I think we really kind of figured out we had something going early in the process, just from the feedback from the interviewees, how easily they said yes to doing an interview. Because like I said, this is the first time we had done something like this. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know who Neil was. We had no credibility whatsoever. But they were still saying yes to sitting in front of a camera with us because they believed in the idea so much of a documentary will play to record that they were able to sort of take that roll of the dice with us as the filmmakers. So that's when I knew we had something good because they were, you know, the interviewees were were willing to do that type of thing. I thought it was gonna be a lot harder than it was getting people in front of the camera, and it wasn't. So that's that kind of clued me in. We're talking on Moving Radio today with the director, executive producer, and writer of the documentary film, Drop the Needle. It's going to be featured as part of Cuff Docs in Calgary at the Globe Cinema on Friday, November 25th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, our guest today, Rob Freeman, will also be in attendance at that screening for a Q&A after it's all done. You know, I watch as many documentaries as I can about this kind of stuff because I really like that music. And of course, everything that I'm inundated with is I'd say the majority is East Coast stuff and because there's a dearth of information, history about it, but also West Coast Central. So you look at California, uh, L.A. and New York as being kind of the hubs for that. And what I loved is the approach that you took for Toronto having its own kind of like very distinct scene um, that kind of was a bridge for the entire country. Uh, that isn't quite so coastal. Talk just a little bit about some of those people that you speak to within the film that, you know, we would maybe recognize in some ways, but also become, you know, the most important players in that scene uh, beyond just the record store and, and Tam's play the record. Well, I definitely wanted to try to make this a Canadian story. It is a, it is a Toronto-centric store. You know, it is a little bit of a Toronto-centric story. But as you said, though, it does, like, again, I heard about it in Kingston. Uh, we had uh, Scratch Bastard, one of the most famous uh, and most skilled DJs to come out of this country. He's from Halifax. And he uh, learned about Play to Record through the same way I learned about Play to Record, through Rap City. Uh, well, sorry, through Extendemix, sorry. Uh, the sponsorship on Extendemix. He would travel from Halifax down to Toronto to go to Play to Record to get the, the records that he couldn't get anywhere else because of seeing it on Rap City. DJ Kimo from uh, the Rascals, uh, Vancouver-based group, one of the best hip-hop groups that we've had out of this uh, uh, country uh, out of Vancouver. You know, he was traveling down the Plate of Record as well. as had He had his records, you know, the Rascals records were being sold out of Plate of Record. So this store absolutely had a lot of reach outside of the boundaries. One really key thing I want to just quickly mention, though, which I, I think is important, is that even if you can't, even if you've never heard of Plate of Record before, even if you feel this is just a Toronto-based story, Every city has its own version of this story. So you think about, like, uh, when you look at the story, it's all about how the college radio DJs and the college radio DJs playing the records they get from playing a record or the clubs. Well, uh, Edmonton, I'm sure, has, as I'm talking right now, has a college radio. They have clubs. They have DJs. They have record stores. So they have their own version of the culture, right, they, that uses some of the same artists that who play a record does, but they have their own version of it. So even if you weren't part of the Toronto culture necessarily. I hope that you kind of draw those similarities between what you hear in the story with what you experienced 
uh, growing up in in your city, your versions of things, and kind of have that sort of uh, uh, being able to put yourself in in the shoes of, of people talking and, and uh, drop the needle through the comparisons of what you grew up with. So that's something definitely I, I was very conscious about was the fact that you know going outside of the Toronto area, you might not know all elements of the you know the culture that we discuss in the movie, but you can relate to them through your own experiences in your own city that has you know your versions of things. What I thought was probably one of the most intensive processes for you and always is kind of with documentary because you end up shooting so much. is just the fact that you could have pared this story down to be much more focused, but you took a very wide approach to it to try to cover and respect as much of this scene as you possibly could. How did you in the editing process kind of start to decide where we needed to focus? Because I'm sure even when you were shooting, sometimes, you know, people you were talking to and you even showed on film that you're like, oh, no, I can I can hook you up with this person. Let's go talk to them that you keep getting led down different paths. Once you've got it all, talk to us a little bit about putting all the pieces of that puzzle together to make a film that's cohesive and also at the same time doesn't sacrifice the story of what was happening at the time. Well, you, you actually you, you use the analogy that I used is that uh, it was like a puzzle, like a 2000 piece puzzle without having the picture to or, or the, the, the picture is super blurry. So you're putting this puzzle together with a really, really, really rough idea of what it's supposed to be looking like. And it was, it was tough because I, I think that uh, one of the problems I had, you know, the, the movie is about an hour and 15 minutes long. My first cut was uh, two hours and two and a half hours. And it was not focused at all. It, it, the challenge that I had in terms of editing it was finding that focus because you're talking about so many different layers, and so many different people and so many different stories. It was challenging to kind of make sure that you, I was allowed, I was able to go off uh, on sidebars, but how much, how I went off them, what was being discussed and how I got back into the main core topic. But the main core topic is actually Eugene. I'll give you the analogy is that um, Eugene is not Thanos, but the uh, which was, Infinity Wars was the best example I could think of. Because if you look at Infinity Wars, I'm sure it's not spoilers to say this. If everyone's not seen Infinity Wars, spoiler alert here. There's so many characters and so many storylines. But that movie did work for me, at least, because it kind of kept everything focused on the Thanos character. He was the main you know, uh, uh, trunk of the tree with all these branches going off of it. Again, Eugene is the exact opposite of Thanos, but he, the idea still applies where Eugene is the core. He is the, the trunk of the tree. So I was able to go off on these little tangents here and there, but always kind of making sure that keep in mind that Eugene is the, the main connection to everything going on. Now, it took me two years. It took me uh, uh, not two years to edit. Oh, yeah, but it took me about two years to edit this thing. It wasn't easy in any way, shape, or form, but... That was the key was was just using him as that uh, sort of that tr- uh, trunk of the tree and kind of figuring out, you know, how, how much I can go off, what I can go off with and how to get back into it. Yeah, I think what it was also fascinating about the film, you've mentioned this a couple of times, is how, yes, music is the core of it. Right. And this is tactile vinyl a lot of times because this DJ is at that time. And of course, now, you know, in 2022, we're romanticizing it. But, you know, we both remember when it died and its resurrection. So so the visual medium, I think, was really at the core for maybe for yourself and for me, based in Alberta, of what you talk about with much music and video specifically and shows like Soul in the City first, 
then Rhapsody and Extended Mix being these kind of uh, gateways to a lot of different music that I wasn't getting uh, exposed to. I definitely had, you know, CJSR in here in Edmonton that I was listening to, but I'm really intrigued about, and I, and I love the fact that you gave a lot of time to how the visual medium was just as important as that record store and those records and the DJs getting hold of them. So talk to us a little bit about why you decided to root it in not just the actual like music itself, but the visual extension of that and how important you feel like that was in tandem with a store like Plated Record. Well, the reason I got into that was more from the perspective of um, when I originally started doing this, I didn't know much about Plated Record, so I didn't know what the true heart of the story was. And I don't want to tell what it is. I want this case. You'll, you'll see when you see the movie, but with the original for the audience, I should say. But the original idea was it was going to be a uh, the tracking the growth of Canadian hip hop with uh, the growth of the store. Cause I thought I needed to find the heart of the story elsewhere. That was my original idea was I had to find the heart of the story elsewhere. So I was looking at somewhere else for the heart of the story. And that's where the much music stuff came into play was for the rap city stuff came into play because I really wanted to, you know, rap, much music was so uh, much of an influence for me personally. And also how I got knowledge about the store originally I just wanted to explore different elements of it. I wanted to explore different uh, people of it. So when I heard about Michelle Geister, who created Rhapsody, I was just really intrigued about telling a little bit about her story in the mixture of, of the world building of the this, this played a record story. So it wasn't me getting into the much music stuff wasn't was more just about me wanting to world build to, to sort of explore different people, different uh, stories in the midst of this uh uh, played a record one but what i did find out though the visuals were really important because it is what made people uh, uh artists celebrities in a way right you, you could be heard on the radio but once you kind of see yourself on tv it's a little bit there's a little bit of a difference like and i i love like you know it's just that's just the way i look at it is that you have that combination as you said the visuals with the audio that combination of seeing someone in front of you you're hearing the music and you that's when you felt like a star it's when you felt like a celebrity and then of course the uh, audience members are probably feeling that way as well and now they're going to be looking for your music a little bit more i want to go get that new uh, uh citizen kane song i want to get the new mathematics song i want to get that new socrates song right because i just saw the music video i saw the visuals on much music i love the video i love the song i'm gonna go get it so i think that the visuals certainly did play a factor in terms of making the artists a little bit more you know that sort of little more of that uh, celebrity image which then helped attract new customers to buy the records and therefore also attracting more customers to play the record. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about how you approach shooting something like this, because you're using different types of media to retell the story. You also are doing a lot of interview footage too. Um, how did you and cinematographer John Elliott kind of have discussions about how to move this past just like a simple retelling with too much talking heads? Cause I feel like that's what every documentary directors trying to avoid as much as they possibly can is just the simple element of storytelling. How did you make it more dynamic in shooting it and kind of having it play out? Well, for me, cause I was, I knew I was editing it. So for me, it was more or less just, just get the footage. Let's just get as much interesting footage as possible and then figure it out afterwards. Uh, cause it was me figuring it out. Right. So, I mean, I, I could have, uh, I remember there's a style uh, choice in the movie in terms of how we introduce some of the interviewees. Some of the people get introduced a little bit differently than others. And that came out after the first interview. The first interview, I said, let's just do a couple different shots, movement, movement of the camera, things going on. I went home that night, 
played around with it a little bit. And what you what you're gonna see in the movie, a guy named Mastermind. Mastermind comes on the screen. How he comes on the screen was I edited the very first day, the night that we interviewed him. And that was the choice right there made of a new the style that I was going to apply to some other interviewees throughout the movie. So like a lot of this stuff was like for me, I was because I was editing it. I was okay with just kind of taking it on the floor, going on the fly, right? I, the creative decisions we made as we go. So I don't know if there was any kind of like big conversation early on or strategic conversation earlier on to kind of plan everything out. It was more like, let's just get it done with, let's get the footage and we'll think of ideas as we go. And then when I get down to edit it, I'm just going to, you know, hopefully make it work. And it was, it was really just as simple as that. We're talking today on Moving Radio with Rob Freeman, director, executive producer, writer, and editor of the documentary film Drop the Needle. You can catch it as part of Cuff Docs in Calgary at the Globe Cinema uh, on Friday, November 25th at 6.30 p.m. Rob will also be in attendance at that screening, uh, Mm -hmm. talking all about the film and probably the music as well. Rob, how do you, because I think there's a certain level of responsibility anytime you take the responsibility to tell someone else's story on your yeah. shoulders. But I think it's even greater when you're like, Oh, I'm going to tell the story of a scene <laughs> that has national implications. Like that's, I feel like that feels like it's an even greater responsibility for you. How do you deal with something like that on a film like this, where you maybe, did you feel pressure at all? Or did you feel like, you know, everyone trusted me enough to talk to me. So I just got to take my ball and run from there. Well, uh, I would tell you that over the course of two years, there was absolutely ups and downs and different emotions at all points in times, moments of pure highest confidence in the world and moments of like pure dread and doubt of what I was doing. Like I went through everything during the course of the two years, but overall I was mostly confident. And the reason it came from was, so before I got into drop the needle, there was this one thing, the Toronto Raptors won a, uh, there's a championship, right? And I'm a, I'm a big Raptors fan. And so I was looking for something to do, just something to mess around with. And, and I said, oh, you know what, I'm going to edit together a uh, you know season recap for their tra- uh, championship season. I remember going to HMV back in the day and you went there at Blu-ray section or DVD section at the time and seeing like the championship recap uh, DVDs or Blu-rays. And I was always thought to myself, man, it'd be awesome to have a Toronto Raptors one. And I never thought it would ever happen because, you know, it was a rough ride with the Raptors for a while. So anyhow, they, uh, I saw that I, I said, I'm going to make my own version of this. I'm going to burn it onto a Blu-ray, put it in my collection just for fun, right? And it's going to be like 45 minutes long. Well, it turned out the first cut of that was three and a half hours. Um, it did end up being three hours, but I edited it down to two hours, something around two hours. But anyhow, I posted it onto YouTube. And the feedback for, on YouTube was really strong. Like you, the, the comments were really strong. People were watching it. People were sharing it. And so I kind of felt strong confidence from that experience or coming out of that experience where I had a style, I had a, a, you know, a little bit of a version of storytelling in terms of how I I do the cuts, how I incorporate music, how I shape the story and tell the story and doing three acts, not necessarily three acts, but kind of using that kind of mentality though of, of how to shape a story and shape characters and all this kind of stuff. So because of that experience, and then I kind of did a couple other ones afterwards to kind of, you know, tie it all in together. Once I started to drop the needle, I did have a lot of confidence in what I, you know, going into it. So I didn't really, I hope this doesn't sound like a break. It's, 
because no one's seen the movie yet as well. But I feel like I got the drop the needle story, or I got sorry, I got the play to record story, but play to record got my style. So it goes both ways, if you know what I mean. Uh, that that's kind of how I approached it, and and I'm uh, hopefully the, people agree that's you know the style in terms of how the story is told does work uh, for this particular movie. The film is fantastic. I think people are really going to like it a lot. So you're not overselling yourself, Rob. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's all yeah. very appropriate. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean the, fight thing, the fight thing is sometimes it's, again, because I have moments of ups and downs, right? You have moments yeah. where there's a week at a time where I'm like, no one's going to like this movie. This is going to be a complete failure. What am I doing? You know, so on and so forth. That It's going to happen. But my whole project, when I started this, it was like I'm betting on myself, Right. Just whatever happens, I'm going to see this to completion. I'm going to get out there, and then it is what it is. So having that confidence going into it from the previous experience and just saying, you know what, let's just do it and don't worry about anything else. Because at the end of the day, no one knew me going into it, really. So if it didn't work out, I can go back to – I got two beautiful kids at home. I know I, I, I could go back to what I was doing beforehand and, you know, once in a blue moon, I might see someone kind of make a, you know, that rude comment about that person who used to be, who tried to make the movie. Like I wasn't too worried about the repercussions, to be honest with you, because I, you know, I was good going in and I'd be good going out. So. I think you're, you're good both ways as well. There too. You go. So these are <laughs> accurate feelings. Rob Freeman has been our guest today on moving radio. We've been talking about the documentary drop the needle. You can see it as part of cuffed docs in Calgary at the globe cinema on Friday, November 25th at 6 30 PM. You can go to the cuff website to find out more. Uh, if people want to find out more about drop the needle, who maybe you're hearing this and either the screening has passed or they're intrigued about more about the film, how can people reach out and maybe find out a little bit more about it on social media, about the film, or maybe even about yourself? Canterbury Crescent Filmworks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, then there's www.dropthenedlemovie.com that has some information on it as well. Uh, one thing I, I did try to do over the past two years was I tried to sort of fill in some of the blanks of stuff I was missing. So, you know, things that might not even be played a record. Uh, Young and Dundas in Toronto was pretty famous at that point in time. Uh, Eaton Center played a record, the various record stores, so on and so forth. But there, the people went down to that uh, uh, area. Was, they go to play a record, but then they get food at this place. They go to the mall. There was this, like, really, like, kind of dingy type of mall that was used to be there as well. And it was kind of uh, famous when I found out about these different elements, uh, you know, some of it I didn't get into the movie, but I posted online. I found an old commercial for that mall that a lot of people would talk about, and I just posted online, and, and there was a little bit of a response to that. So, uh, yeah, I'm using the social media to kind of talk about the movie, of course, and to keep everyone in the loop on where they could see it. Um, and we have big announcements coming up for the movie in the, the near future. But also to kind of fill in the blanks and talk a little bit more about stuff that I wasn't able to, to address in the movie itself. Fantastic. Rob, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the film. Uh, it's excellent work. Uh, now I'm going to go find your Raptors video on YouTube and Northern, check that out. Northern well. Uprising. Northern Uprising. Because I, I know I saw it in your bio and I was like, wait a second, where did that air? And I'm like, the man cut it himself on this is the passion he has. That's right. We we had to you yeah we used that. One. I had nothing else in my repertoire yet, so they said, "Well, we have put some history on you." I'm like, "I don't have much of a history yet, so we'll we'll do the Northern Uprising one, and that will be." Yeah. Well, let's hope uh, Pascal heals heals up quickly because uh, no spicy pea is uh, is not good for the Raptors for too long. So no, no. <laughs> let's, no, let's no. cross our fingers on that one. Scotty but Barnes, we got Scotty Barnes. He'll, he'll yeah. 
by the time you get home from Calgary, he should be okay. Let's hope. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Rob, thank you so much for the time. Uh, great conversation. Make sure you check out Rob's work. Thank you very much. And you're going into this record store and you're like all these big dog DJs are there and you're like, whoa, 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 that's, whoa, 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 okay, this is what they do. It's only when we started doing this documentary, I, oh, maybe we did have some something to do with it.